Hello, my name is Taylor Clement, and I am the head of school at Kirk Day School. And I'm Maria Massey. I'm the school counselor at Kirk Day School. Right now, we're talking about the holidays and how it affects our students. Our students are pre-K through sixth grade, and what we realize is the holidays can be a rough time. It starts with Thanksgiving, with football, turkey, Black Friday, and the hanging of Christmas decorations. But the holidays ends with the doldrums of colder weather and not much excitement in returning to school. So how do we do this as parents, and how do we enter in as a family into a season of worship and joy? Starting today as episode two, what we'd like to discuss is really the beginning of Christmas and Advent and how we start. So Maria, really we look at Christmas in kind of four ways. That's school Christmas, which is the time of Christmas and school. Pre-Christmas, which is the time between school gets out and then Christmas. Actual worship of Christmas, maybe Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. And then post-Christmas, our Canadians up north with Boxing Day, back to when the kids have to begrudgingly return to school and talk about what they got. So, yeah, that's kind of where we go. Any thoughts to start on that? Uh, Yeah, so I think it is really easy to miss this time between Thanksgiving and Christmas and allow that time to be focused on getting all your gifts, all of the office parties, holiday parties, all of that kind of, of events, and kind of miss the, the reverence and the opportunity that we have to observe Advent. Okay, so we're going to get to what Advent is sure. uh, in, in a little bit. But let's, let's kind of focus on this. So what are the things that, we, that you would say, hey, these items or events are going on before school's even out. And so this year we get out on December 19th. Um, in the past, we've gotten out as early as the 15th, somewhere in there. So, I mean, there's some times where we have some significant days in between school being out and Christmas. But just with school, yeah. what are things that, that we have that you, that you see that, that maybe even cause a stress with some sure. of our kids? I think mood-wise, generally speaking, most kids are excited but they're also really tired. And at times they're tired of actual schoolwork, but probably what I see more is they're tired of their friends. Um, And I don't mean that in a bad way. Okay. But they're just, you know, going to school every day with the same 12 or 15 kids is exhausting at times. And depending on the temperament of your kid, depending on their personality, this could be the time of year where you see all of the things that that have been going on throughout the semester kind of pile up. And typically, we see that with friendships. Uh, I don't know if that's across the board at every school, but what I've seen the past couple of years is is conflict kind of arise during this time between, you know, Thanksgiving-ish and Christmas. And usually they're not major conflicts. But there are little things here and there. It's a lot more of the passive aggressive kind of he looked at me the wrong way. And because they've that kid may have looked at them the wrong way for the past, you know, eight weeks, it becomes a bigger deal. Right. So I think the kids are feeling this weird tension of being excited. But, man, we still have, you know, five weeks of school left. And, gosh, these friends, you know, uh, are are continuing to kind of bother them. So I do tend to see a little bit of a rise in conflict at this well, time. And, and I think part of that is mainly the fact that the schedules change, right? Kids are doing 
Christmas rehearsals or they're doing Christmas activities mm -hmm. or they're wanting to think about the, those things. Uh, there, there's a commonality amongst kids, particularly because we are a private school, that, hey, this is what I'm asking for for Christmas and or this is what we can afford for Christmas. And while a lot of times that's just a ruse, the personal piece is felt a little deeper sure. than that. And so do you see that kind of coming out uh, this time of year? Because let's face it, I've already gotten all the Black Friday mailers. Mm -hmm. I've gotten mm -hmm. um, a catalog. My son mm -hmm. has looked through some, pointing out. He already knows what he wants to ask mm -hmm. Santa for for Christmas. So what is it that, that you see as far as even just the comparison piece? Definitely a comparison piece. Uh, and I think... <sighs> You know, for kids, so much of what they think about and what they do, especially in our time and our culture, revolves around things. So who has the latest gaming console, the latest games, those type of things definitely come more to the forefront. Some of it, too, is this anticipation and maybe a, a missed expectation between parents or an unspoken expectation between parents and kids of a kid thinks he's going to be getting you know, the newest PlayStation, while his parents may be thinking, we're not going to get him the newest PlayStation. And so, though that hasn't come yet, there's still that process that the kid is going through of hearing what all of his friends are going to give up, are, are going to ask for, for for Christmas, and then him even wanting to make sure that he's going to have whatever his friends have, if not better. So definitely the comparison piece. And I would say, you know, even though, I mean, there's a wide variety of, of kids as far as socioeconomic class here. And even different varying family traditions of what presents even look like at Christmas. And because of where kids are in their development, sometimes they're unable to kind of wrap their mind around, well, if I don't have the newest PlayStation, that's okay. Um, and that, that's a tough, that's a tough thing for kids to handle, right. especially because right. right now, a lot, a lot of that is their social currency. Uh, a lot of what happens online is it, that is their new social environment. That's their new movie theater. That's their new mall. So it's very important to have a presence online in that regard. Okay. So two things regarding that. The first is, uh, for our parents, one of the best movie clips and, and people that know me know I love movies know I quote movies all the time is a movie clip it's found on YouTube from 500 Days of Summer mm -hmm. it's a Joseph Gordon-Levitt uh, is, is stars in this and what it shows is is a split screen between reality and expectations and he's going to a party of his ex-girlfriend and and one side is the expectations the other side is reality and I think as parents this is this is a really good nonverbal for mm -hmm. us to watch. There's there's no dialogue mm -hmm. in either one of these these scenes, mm -hmm. but I think it's incredibly helpful. So so parents, I would say, definitely go and watch that. It's it's phenomenal. It's just the psychology of it. But Maria, the second thing that you mentioned was the social currency piece. Mm -hmm. Now I think this is paramount mm -hmm. that that we get this, particularly with boys. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned the gaming consoles, mm -hmm. games in general. I think are a big social currency with boys, but you know, you and I got to hear Rosalind Wiseman, mm -hmm. um, author of Queen Bees and Wannabes, Movie World. It's the Mean Girls movie, and she talked about this. She she said, you know, the social currency of these kids is around video games, and in particular, it's it's around the fact that 
boys have to be good at video games or good at sports or both. There's no in between. And so the fact that we're in a sports season, primarily basketball for, for most of our school kids, and, and we just came out of volleyball, going into the holidays, there probably is some expectation that not only am I going to get better at video games, but my friends are going to want to know what I got. And, and how do we do that as a family? Because mm -hmm. some families really value the less screen time. Mm -hmm. And you also, with Christmas break coming up, have you know about two weeks of unstructured time where they are going to want to play those games. And so parents and families have a wide variety of opinions on screen times. And I would say it is not necessarily about this amount is too much, this is the right amount. But it's about having a conversation with your kids about what that screen time means and some of their motivation behind that. Some of their motivation for, for wanting to be on the gaming console or the screen is also for, for parents to understand it is a different world. And I'm a millennial and it's a different world yep. than what I grew I, up I would, in. I would agree with that. And so for parents who may be a generation of, above me, it's even more of a jump to put yourself in the mind frame that kids aren't spending the same amount of time at the mall or at the movie theater. That's what I did growing up, you know. And it is it is happening online. It's happening on Instagram. It's happening on Snapchat uh, or music musically. I think is the the other app that they use a lot. And so, I would encourage parents to take some time to learn about those areas uh, and see where they can enter in and have a conversation and just even ask almost the the dumb questions of. Well, what, like, tell me how Fortnite works. Like, what do you actually do? What well, are these skins? That you're kind asking, of thing. You're asking something that's really interesting. So asking the dumb questions. And I, I often would advise parents to do that one-on-one. -on -one. Yes. So talk yes. about that. Talk about yes. asking those dumb questions, but just finding that time. Because we do have about two weeks, and we mm -hmm. do have those little errands we need to run. Uh, you know, let's run to the store. Let's grab something here. Let's run and do something mm -hmm. here where those moments can actually be rather mm -hmm. sweet and, and extremely revealing both about the heart and just relationship between parent and child. So how, yeah. would you, how would you advise to ask those questions? You know, the car is a great place to have those conversations. One, because typically if it gets to a place where you're lost uh, in, in how to answer, oh man, we're, we're here, so we've got to run in and, and get, you know, whatever we need at this store. So it kind of allows you for some time to process just in the getting in and getting out of the car. So if, you, if, if you're caught off guard by a question or a thought or something that your kid said, it does give you kind of that time to, to process that for a second while you run in and get a gift. But I would say, you know, the car is such a great place to have conversations because you're not sitting down face-to-face, -face, like squaring them in the eye and asking mm -hmm. them these questions, which can at times feel intimidating. And so it gives you an opportunity to have more kind of a natural conversation uh, with with your kid. Are there any questions that you would say, hey, don't ask this? So my parents, as a kid, and, and they, they met this lovingly and wonderfully, was, hey, what are you thinking about? Now, as a kid, I was either thinking about something I didn't want them to, to know mm -hmm. I was embarrassed, so it might be a toy, it might mm -hmm. be some you know something at school, or just something that I couldn't even express in words, but they're reaching out to me in a caring way. I just didn't have the words and really the capacity to respond to that a lot of times. Definitely. So my response was always nothing. 
So if I'm a parent and I'm with my child, what do you think are a couple of good questions to say, hey, what are you thinking about, but maybe doing it in a way that gives them a, an ability to respond a little sure. bit better? I think one thing is to not be afraid of their answer. So you you may ask, or when you're thinking about your kid playing video games, you can think of in a hundred reasons probably why you wouldn't want them to do that. But another type of question to ask your kid to give them an opportunity to form you know, their own thoughts, opinions, that kind of thing, to have a conversation is to ask them, what makes you like the game? What is it about the game that you enjoy? That not only relieves the pressure of my mom's always going to tell me I, I play video games too much, which automatically puts kids on the defensive, but it also allows you to enter into their world. And again, entering into their world and allowing them to share gives that models for them how to have conversations as adults. So even asking something like you would to a friend, what draws you to the career that you have? Ask something similar with, with your own kid. What draws you to play that game? And granted, there may be some things that you disagree with, and that's okay to, to talk to them about, but also to just give them a space to kind of express their opinions uh, and their thoughts about, about the game without feeling that pressure to come in and teach or to come in and instruct or to come in and direct because that opens up the lines of communication with your kids. So like in your example, it's like, well, I don't want to tell my dad anything because I know that he's probably going to tell me no. And I would say there are times where our parents and where parents need to tell kids no. That is a good thing. There's also times where you can have a conversation with your kid to understand where they're coming from in a much more non-threatening way. Yeah. That doesn't, it, and, and it doesn't have to revolve around this is, what you're going to do, this how much time you're going to spend, but allowing them to kind of have a voice and, and get into their hearts and their heads a little bit more can be really helpful. And the great thing about the holiday season is that you do have some time to do that. So so you're mentioning that probably one of the most memorable holiday breaks that I've ever had was when I was in college and I came home and I remember playing with my dad, playing um, a video game with him. And it was unbelievably atypical mm -hmm. for my father to do this mm. but he stayed up and we stayed up talking and I remember he shared some things with me that I was finally old enough that he could share and it was it, there's not a lot of details I remember of that night but it, I do remember that it was a really heartfelt moment and that's a really beautiful thing and Definitely. so I can at least attest to that so going back to kind of our first question of things that are going out before, going on rather before school is out We've got concerts, we've got parties, uh, there's sports, there's Christmas movies, and, and going to the movies even. There's general shopping, um, there's also wish list with kids coming home. There's a lot of stress with that. Um, so the one thing that I would at least offer up, and, and this is something that I've worked with, with others and, and accounts where has, has advised me on, is this, is, is find a just right challenge. And, and what, what he means by that is so often, hey, if you have 10 things, uh, in front of you, mm -hmm. what's what's a good challenge for you to say, you know what, I'm going to challenge myself not to do it, or maybe s challenge somebody to do it with me mm -hmm. if I have to. Mm -hmm. um, an instant was at the beginning of the school year, uh, my schedule is packed. No, no question, it's packed on the family side, but it's also packed on the professional side. And my wife and I had an event that we needed to go to together. 
and she just said my just right challenge to you and using the right language is please don't make me go to this event and the reality was I said you know what you got it uh, I got I got that I understood that um, so my question to you is that's been helpful for us mm -hmm. and, and granted the terminology can change it doesn't have to be that and our conversation by the way was not so formal to say this is my just right challenge and cashed in her ticket what would you say is a good way to discuss that as a family sure. as a just right challenge especially when kids are begging to go to something mm -hmm. and it may not be good for the emotional health of mm -hmm. the family mm -hmm. I know that a lot of times there are things that I really want to do there are things that, that my wife doesn't or vice versa so sure. talk about that for a moment yeah well let me ask you a question kind of uh, based on that when so in times of stress we tend to either overproduce or underproduce. So we either go to, I'm going to get everything done and I'm going to do it the best that I possibly can and kind of mow everybody down. Like I'll take care of everything. Or we go to the opposite and we go lazy. We don't get anything done. And so there, there's a, <laughs> yep, there's yep. a stretch there. there there's a, a continuum there, but it sounds like at times, yeah, that, I mean, that, that, that's the question that I would ask your kid and that I would ask your family. Okay. Is where does your family go? Where do you go, even as a parent, when you feel that stress? Uh, where do you, do you tend to go into overdrive or underdrive? So I would love to, to ask the faculty this to see yeah, what they exactly. think. Exactly. So let me ask you this. Where do you think I go? I would say you probably tend to go more overdrive. 100%. Sure. But as a parent, and as you're saying that, I'm laughing in my head because as a parent, I go underdrive. Yeah. Right? That happens. My professional self, my personal self, I go to overdrive. Definitely. Um, I, I find a lot of stress relief in being able to produce and work and work hard and mm -hmm. focus. Mm -hmm. um, but as a parent, I definitely go underdrive and say, all right, you know what? That's it. We're shutting things down. Yeah. I want to stay home. Mm -hmm. I want us just to go in the basement, turn mm -hmm. on a great movie, order some pizza, and that's it. And so I would say there is a dichotomy mm -hmm. there for me, mm -hmm. uh, both personally and mm -hmm. then as, as, as a father and a husband. And I would say that's a very normal experience to have, that we can show up differently in the different areas of our life. And so my, my challenge to parents would be, first of all, ask yourself that question because in the same in this in a similar way with my family I would tend to go more on the lazy side especially if we're talking extended family right and oh yeah and yeah. you know the obligation to be at events definitely on the lazy side there but feel more of the overdrive on the professional side so even having that conversation with yourself and your spouse of we know this is going to be a stressful season where do we tend to go because where we go, our kids kind of go. Right. Whether we want them to or not, they're at least physically present with us. So, and, and can definitely pick up on that stress. And then maybe even having that conversation, depending on the age of your kids, with your kids to say, when you start to feel stress, do you feel like you need to do more to gain control? Or do you feel better if you're doing less? And, and, and maybe not phrase it more and less, but phrase it more as, do you feel the need to kind of withdraw, zone out, that type of thing? Or do you feel the need to kind of jump in there and, and get going? Yeah. So. Well, and I, th I think those are really great questions to think about, particularly as we manage time and our expectations. And, and something that you and I both have discussed is really the safety of expectations. Mm -hmm. um, kind of not missing that. Mm -hmm. 
but also with our finances of making sure that we're not overstressed and sure. that with our spouses or um, whomever might be, mm-hmm. be helping us co-manage the finances, that we're having some reasonable conversations that, like you said earlier, our kids aren't wanting the w- world. What do you think is the most difficult part about having that conversation with regarding expectations? Because that's something expectations are usually unspoken and kind of go out the window. So what do you think um, is hard about having that conversation or makes it challenging? Yeah, well, number one, you're being vulnerable. Totally. Right? You're, you're, you're stating a lot of times what, what's in your head and in your heart that otherwise you wouldn't say. Mm-hmm. Um, one of The joke that my wife and I have is our hardest day of the week in marriage is Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's usually not Sunday. It's, mm-hmm. it's usually not the week. Mm-hmm. It's because Saturday I've got my idea and my expectations of what I want to do with the family. She's got her own. Mm-hmm. She's ready to get out of the house. She's ready to have me home. Uh, I'm ready to be at home and ready to just lay on the couch and watch mm-hmm. TV. So, you know, there, there is that. And when we finally started hitting what our expectations were and stating, yeah, this is what we want to do for the day and being able to work through that, uh, things got much sure. more laid back and, and it ended up being a lot better for us. But the reality is uh, when you state your expectation, you're, you're, you're being vulnerable. Sure. And that can be a, that can definitely be a scary thing. So, yeah, that's that's at least where I would state. Just thinking through yeah. that. Yeah, I would totally agree with you. And something to keep in mind that, you know, I have a one and a, almost a one and a half year old, so she doesn't quite have expectations, or she does, but they look a little different. Right. Um, right. She's unable to communicate her expectations. But for parents who have kids that can, there are expectations that they have, and. I wonder what it would be like for families to talk about that, even with their kid, not just with their spouse, but the expectation that that their kid has with the holiday season, with the stress or with the family or with gifts. Again, it gives you an opportunity to open up the lines of communication. And that is worth its weight in gold when, yeah. when you talk about being able to connect with your kid. So let's let's shift gears because we're getting into something a little deeper than just time management and even just trying to connect with our with our children. How do we shift the focus from what we're talking about into advent? So that's where I, would, I want the conversation yeah. to go right now because I grew up we did not celebrate advent. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what an advent wreath mm-hmm. was. That was just kind of my my at least church background. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, is now I, I love Advent. I love the season of it, but I still find myself, I, I would say at times, thinking that Advent is just Christmas. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. let's so let's get into that because Advent is not Christmas. Correct. Let's 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 be yeah. let's be theologically true to that to the Christian calendar. It is a season within the Christian calendar that means the expectation or means the coming. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's get into Advent for a second with that. What is Advent? And why is it important? The first thing that comes to mind, yeah, when I think of Advent, is definitely the wreath. I grew up in a church where we lit the wreath, uh, and baby Jesus didn't come out until Christmas Eve. The Christmas decorations in the church even didn't come out until Christmas. But I still never really got what Advent was. So I think the first thing that we need to think about is the idea and the theme and the reason for Advent is in direct opposition to what our culture says. So Advent is a season of waiting, right? It's a season of preparing, of reflecting on the promises that God has made 
our culture is a culture that does not wait. We are an instant gratification culture, which I know I'm beating a dead horse there. I know we all know that. But the way that that comes out practically is it makes it difficult to understand why would we celebrate a season of waiting? Why would there be any value in spending time in the four weeks leading up to Christmas thinking about how we're preparing our hearts for the Christmas season. Well, and, and as our friends at Axis say, it's a mini Lent. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, yeah. You, we're, we're waiting. And so mm -hmm. one of the things that I often find is whether it's a grocery item, a personal item, a toy, something like the Amazon guy is getting <laughs> rid knowing me really well. Uh, and I say that because, you know, it's not big expenditures, but sometimes yeah. it can be small things and, and it's much more the instant gratification piece. And as we were kind of looking at some of the Advent pieces mm -hmm. uh, before we started this talk, one of the things that really came to mind is, is having a season of actually waiting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're going to be getting gifts and things and, and unfortunately shopping and being a part mm -hmm. of the materialistic piece. But at least with our own hearts and what we're cultivating is to take a moment, not not even minutes, not no longer than 10, but, but I'd say five or less minutes with our family. How can we, how can we do something that is in celebration of the spiritual discipline of waiting. Sure. Which is like even saying so it, even, even talking to you right now about it, that feels so countercultural mm -hmm. to so many things. Mm -hmm. So where would you go with that as far as just your day-to-day -day family life and maybe establishing a discipline mm -hmm. as you're working on the discipline of waiting? It will definitely feel like discipline too, I think, to understand. Um, because... Again, waiting is not something that we enjoy doing. It's not something that we're good at. I know I'm not good at it, at least. So one of the things that has always stood out to me about Advent, and there aren't many songs, even Christmas songs out there about Advent, but O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is one that comes Absolutely, to mind. Absolutely, yeah. And that is a very, you know, that is that has a lot, I mean, that comes from Scripture. And so even reflecting and reading through the prophecies, of Christ coming is something that you could do to practice waiting. And imagine, you know, one of the things that, that is really important as we read anything is to understand who it was written to and what they were experiencing during that time. And if you think through what the Israelites were doing, I mean, they had to wait in exile. They were continuing to wait for this king. They had no idea when he was going to come. Even having a conversation with your kids, what would it have been like to be an Israelite in exile or an Israelite at, even after exile still waiting for something and not exactly knowing what it was going to be, when it was going to come? They had these prophecies from God, but I think we all know it's really hard at times to, to trust in the Lord's faithfulness. And that's, you know, Advent is about God's faithfulness to us, God's promises, um, being given to us and us waiting for those promises. So I think it's having a conversation, putting yourself in the shoes of, of those people that we find in the Bible, but also recognizing that as Christians now we're in a waiting time. We're in the already and the not yet. We're in a season of, of Advent, so to speak. I know we don't call it that, but we're waiting for the second coming of Christ. What is it like to wait? Why is it hard to wait? What questions come up about God as we wait? You know, what are what are the struggles or the doubts that we have about God as we wait? Because again, it's the exact opposite of the air that we breathe every day. 
So a, a couple of things. Number one, I think maybe the best uh, Christmas album, which does not sound Christmassy at all, uh, at least for us, is Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb of God. Yeah. Uh, for those of you that have listened to it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, check it out. It's a very unique, it is a very fun just study. And, and I, how he put this album together, I'll never know. But it's brilliantly done. But it really starts with uh, the Israelites and, and Moses. Mm-hmm. And it go, and he, and he kind of walks you musically all the way through the birth of Christ and what that mm-hmm. meant for the world. And so... So very compelling, and, and it's really good to listen to that as an album, not just song sure. by song or um, even just in carpool, but it, it might be, you know, listen to it once the kids go to bed sort of thing. Um, but even as you were just talking, uh, a few things that, that at least stand out to me in regards to this idea of waiting is studies have shown that when people are searching for something to, to buy in a, in a consumeristic culture, that the, the thrill of the buy and the thrill of the wait is equal to the gratification of the object. That's amazing. It is. That is amazing. Now, I think about that at a few levels, and I struggle with this, and, and I'm sure some theologian can tell me I'm wrong, but I, I find that kind of interesting mm-hmm. that, number one, on this earth, mm-hmm. right, we are find that our, our, our satisfaction in something can come that, that great in waiting, which mm-hmm. says that God's still good to us mm-hmm. in the way that we're created because we can still take joy in waiting. On the other thing, though, is, is then when I go spiritually, how much greater is God to give us something that we can never grow tired of mm-hmm. in the midst of the fact that something here will perish and the law of thermodynamics mm-hmm. quickly will make something mm-hmm. not new, where God, mm-hmm. on the other hand, is making all things mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good reflection to have that God has created us to wait in a lot of ways. I mean, there's only a, a snippet of history where Jesus was here and with us, mm-hmm. but we get to celebrate what it was like to truly wait mm-hmm. and think of a lifetime of waiting. There's something kind of beautiful to that. Yeah, there's a, a purpose in waiting. You know, it's clear that it's something that God asks us to do. And it's not a season just about what's coming next, but I think asking what can we learn even in waiting. Yeah. And that is a practice that's incredibly difficult, especially, I imagine, with young ones. I mean, <laughs> yeah. they don't have the, um, you know, the, the ability to, to forecast and, and think through that future as much. So especially with young ones, it, it's, it can be challenging. Absolutely. So kind of wrapping at least today up, um, going from the time management piece, slowing things down, thinking more through the Christian calendar of, of Advent, mm-hmm. what what would you say are a few good things to possibly do during Advent with your kids that at least, even if they're not getting the depth of the subject, sure. that there's a practice, that there's an, an office, so to mm-hmm. speak, uh, at least spiritually speaking, that, that we're giving these children that were laying a foundation where they can look at Christmas maybe a little differently than just consumerism. Sure. I think having that conversation about waiting, what are things that they have? Yes. The obvious thing right now that they have to wait for is Christmas, but there are other times in their life where they're waiting, right? So having a conversation with them about what it's like to wait, why it's hard to wait, what can we be learning about ourselves and others as we wait? I think is a really great conversation to have with your kids. It's something that they're going to have to learn how to do as they grow. And this is kind of a perfect parallel and easy to contextualize right now in this season of Advent, in this season of waiting. 
to, to connect those things, that waiting is something that the Lord asks of us and is, is really an opportunity for us to grow. So seeing it as a time to grow, not as just a waiting for the next thing to come. And add to that, though, with some, some more tangible items. Yeah. So a Jesse tree and Advent wreath. A Jesse wreath. tree and Advent wreath. I think those are all. Any Anytime you can put something even physically concrete in your kids' hands to teach a lesson about something that's more abstract, you're going to win. So the cool thing with the Jesse tree is that you really get to see the whole trajectory of, of Christ and, and all the things that came before him and all the people that had to wait before him. And, and kids learn, especially before they hit the teenage years, best in concrete ways. So if you can do it, and I would say, you know, the Advent wreath is great, um, but it, yeah, there's it's only all, five candles. There's so, only five yeah. candles. It's like, why is there, there a different one, different colored one, you know, all of that. Right. So the Jesse tree, I think, is a great way to tangibly, physically see people waiting. You can yeah. read the stories of those people. So you're connecting more than one sense. You're seeing it, you're reading it, you're hearing it. I think that is an awesome, an awesome way to do things, um, to, to talk about waiting. And even taking some of those, you know, Christmas traditions that you may be preparing for even now, if that's baking cookies or whatever it may be, um, and using that time to talk through those conversations. It doesn't have to be a long 20 minute conversation that you have at the kitchen table, have it while you're doing something. Yeah. I I love that. Uh, So now it's kind of, as we, as we wrap this up, let's look to to our next, next conversation. Today we spent our time really looking at the items before school Mm -hmm. is out. But next time we're going to look at that really interesting. Some people call it special. Some people call it misery. The time between (laughs) when school gets out, and Christmas and the kids being at home. And so we're going to look at a few of those. And so, you know, what are the Christmas traditions? What are you traveling? Um, what are the meals getting ready for? What are some movies? What are some carols? Is there, there's some decorating that you do. So we're going to kind of switch over and, yeah. and begin to, to not just talk about Advent, but how it impacts our daily family life. And then what really look at the 12 days of Christmas and, and go from there. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, Kirk Day School, thank you so much for joining us today, and we'll keep firing these out, at least through the holiday season, and we hope to see you soon. Be safe.